0: Like I said I don't have much of an agenda for uh for this time around but I do feel like uh you know we should start with uh with a victory lap because uh you know our last episode was uh was called uh, Planet of Scams uh that's uh you know with a nod to the uh dearly departed uh, Mike Davis RIP um but uh yeah you know we talked in that um in that episode a lot about uh how uh how many things were a scam, and in particular how crypto was a scam, and I feel like we were vindicated. We were completely correct. So, uh, you know, bust credit, the same but worse for uh, predicting that uh, this would this shit would hit the fan, even though we didn't say specifically which shit would hit which fan. But we were right. We were right because under the hood, it was all just it's all just a uh, complete yeah, it's all a complete scam, and uh, that's uh, that's what happened. The whole thing fell apart uh and uh lots of people have already like delved into the whole balance sheet thing and um you know i think it's like boring you can get those details elsewhere but to me what is interesting about this is that you you now get this like it's it's almost like a like a big light is now shining on this whole crypto like marketplace in a way that even the previous like failures of like places like whatever circle and like voyager and all this other shit like It didn't quite trigger the same level of scrutiny, and now it has. And now people are like really kind of looking at it with a more critical eye. Maybe like normal people who weren't tied into the crypto space or the crypto criticism space uh, before this. And then you see all these, like, you know, all these cockroaches, like, just scattering everywhere. <laughs> and All these people are running for the exits and being like, no, 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 no. Can we, can we get some regulation in here so that this doesn't happen? So that, like, legitimate crypto can continue operating and, like, just all this shit. And I'm like, you know, the lesson, like, if the lesson that you learned from this is that, like, oh, we need to, like make crypto just another asset class like that is the wrong lesson like this is this thing that should not exist it serves no useful purpose it is just like an unlicensed security and turning in and giving it like the imprimatur of like a regulatory gloss is like the wrong thing to do and will trigger more of these collapses in the future so that's all i got to say about that
1: well i totally disagree i'm buying the dip Okay, that's a good plan.
0: Uh, I guess yeah. we will find out which one of us is uh, which one of us is correct. <laughs> it's got nowhere to go, it up, baby. Uh, nowhere to, that's right. I mean, you have to think that maybe this is bottom.
1: You know, sometimes you just have to you have to reach the bottom of the pool before you can put your push your legs down, push off, and rock it Absolutely. right back up, that up to is the top.
0: That's a perfect analogy.
1: That's that's what I've been saying. I do think it's very funny that like one of the big reasons that it. <laughs> that uh I, I didn't quite understand how sort of like various uh like lending in the crypto space works. but essentially it's like they you, when they spin off their little fake peg tokens or like sometimes they're pegged sometimes they're not but like you know FTX had some kind of token called like the FT token or whatever that was basically like the you know the common coin of its like internal market but the but that itself is like basically uh uh an unregulated security which, you know, you don't really think about it, you just think, oh, that's just a digital representation of a dollar or something, but it's, it's not, it's a, it's like a, uh, an unlicensed security. And it's a security that is dependent on the financial solvency of the institution that's issuing it. So it'd be like, you go to the bank and you're like, okay, I'll take a $2 billion loan. They're like, what are you going to use as collateral for the loan? Um, your stock.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, this is the scenario that like Matt Levine, uh, outlined in like his uh, uh, what's it called in one of his columns he's like yeah there's a reason why they won't let you do that right it <laughs> yeah. it's like an insanely perverse incentive right <laughs> just, like yes there's a there's a good reason why that doesn't happen
1: yeah i mean it's just it's it's crazy that they're able to obscure that you know i'm not like financially illiterate or whatever you know i got an a plus in my accounting and finance for lawyers class taught by a guy who was May or may not have been criminally indicted for some kind of accounting fraud. So, uh, but but you know, like by just simply by calling it like a token or a currency or something, it makes you think. But well, you know, you just don't you don't think about it. Like, why are all the things point in this ledger pointing in this direction? It just obscures the uh, what's actually going on with it, which is actually pretty simple. It's just like uh, they're issuing all these like weird securities, and you know they don't really have any value as as currency because mainly because they're they're really hard to the transaction costs are too high, but they have, you know, speculative value or whatever as an asset class. And, uh, you know, when you're essentially like guaranteeing transactions in the asset class with another class of the same assets that by the way, is like dependent on the financial solvency of the exchange itself. That's not good.
0: Yeah. I mean, but, but ultimately like that's the problem with all of these, like all of these enterprises is that because they are a closed circle and because they have no like actual product that they can sell to anybody, then they they have no connection to like any kind of real economic productivity or any sort of like thing that someone might want to like purchase or just, I mean, like obviously like people do purchase this stuff but it's like, you're just putting money in a jar. You're not buying a claim on any kind of like future productivity or a share in something or any kind of thing like that, right? It's just a completely closed ecosystem that where the only people who get anything out of it are like the people who extract the money that you put in, right? It's like, that's that's fundamentally the problem with all of this. It's not, I mean, is that it's just not a, uh, it doesn't function according to like the, the the rules of kind of like, you know, normal economics or whatever. <laughs> In other news, I guess things that things that have happened since uh, since we last talked is that uh, you know Elon Musk has taken possession of Twitter, uh, so we're all living in uh, in his simulation now. It's been a, it's been a wild ride, um, I think these last couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, all of uh, all the usual uh, uh, maga dipshits are back online. It definitely has this feel of like uh, watching a, watching a like slowly moving car wreck or something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been kind of surprised. Like I kind of thought this, the whole like, you know, Elon Twitter thing was going to be like two kind of annoying things for people to talk about in public becoming even more annoying together. But surprisingly it's just been really funny. Like I've talked to a couple of friends who like, don't really you know, not on Twitter and, and don't really don't care for Elon or whatever. And I should say, obviously I don't care for Elon either. I think he's, I mean, I think he's very inadvertently funny, but beyond that, you know, just kind of a, a bizarre figure um but somehow like the two things coming together has been like even more bizarre and like funny than than i i, I really could have imagined i just kind of thought it was going to be like two really annoying things being even more annoying so kudos to them i guess for somehow making it work and making it entertaining you know
0: well what's what's funny uh, like lately and like and by lately i mean like within the last two days since he like so the funniest thing that happened is that he was like he, he had this poll to like bring back like whether or not he should like reinstate donald trump's account and so like at the end of the day it was like whatever he allegedly based on the results of this poll of course like that's bullshit you know he wanted to do it anyway but he did it he, he like brought back donald trump because i saw like all the old classic donald trump tweets from like 2013 start appearing in my feed uh and then uh Donald Trump posted on his like his own like Twitter clone Truth Social or whatever about how like he's he's not going to come back you know he, because because Donald Trump like he can smell a loser right he he like does he, he thinks that this is this shit is going down the drain and he doesn't want to be associated with it right so he's like yeah I'm not going to come back to this like fuck this
1: he's already been associated with enough losers lately
0: well yeah that's a whole different story but uh and then and then like <laughs> elon musk started posting like these incredibly like horny memes about like donald trump including one where like twitter is like a woman flashing her like genitals at like a caption like a guy like a priest who's got like a donald trump label on it it was so fucking weird it's like it really I, I have this thesis, right? And and I think that this is uh this is true that like right wingers are like the just the thirstiest people on the planet. Um they just they can't tolerate like the the idea of like not being like thought of as cool, right? But like like many of these people, like they have never been cool in any like obvious way. Like whatever, which whatever. That's not a sin. Like I am not I'm not cool either, but I also don't like go online every you know every day and like hunt for like cool clout but like these guys are like they are fixated on it like it's like it's the thing that gives meaning and shape to their lives and so they like try to ape this kind of like i don't know this behavior that that they imagine is like lends them some sort of cultural cachet but it just looks really pathetic like you don't understand. You're the richest person on the planet, or one of the richest people on the planet, and you look like a fucking high school tryhard. Like, what are you doing? Uh, nobody will ever respect you. Like, they will they will lick your boots. They will lick your boots, but they will never respect you.
1: There's a very funny personality type, and, like, I'm sure we all know people who fall into this, but it's, like, they have both, like, a burning desire to be, like, uh, accepted, but also, like, A completely opposite desire uh, which is completely at odds with the like an opposite desire to like be sort of an inveterate shit poster i guess for for lack of a better term and i I feel like elon is like the most prominent example of this but like you know he, he he wants to be loved but he wants to be loved for doing exactly what he does which does a lot of things that like don't really ingratiate himself to people and like aren't really lovable to a lot of people. And he can't just accept that the people who like him, like him and the people who don't, don't. He's like, he's not like confident enough in himself to be able to just say like, this is who I am. And I don't give a shit if you don't like
0: it. Because the people who like him are losers. Like he can, like, that's the thing. It's like, they are courtiers and nobody wants courtiers. Like courtiers are repulsive. Like even the people who maintain the courtiers find them repulsive like that's why they're courtiers you have to have the respect of like the other people who are not obligated to respect you by dint of like you're holding their employment in your hands like that's the thing or like just 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 sycophants right like you have to there has like you could sense the falseness of that respect even as you experience it even as you use it to like validate yourself right And so that's why that's why they're so fixated on like all the cultural institutions because they recognize that like those institutions actually like because they don't they aren't obligated to respect like right-wing sensibilities
1: those are exactly the people that they
0: need whose respect they need to like either win or coerce
1: i think elon's like a little bit different just because he he clearly has like not i mean they are sycophants but they're not like Courtiers necessarily. He's got like you know like all the guys. Whenever you, you know you see something criticizing him, there's a million people jumping in claiming he's the you know a cross between Albert Einstein and Thomas Edison and uh, Steve Jobs. You know like there's a there's a whole contingent of people who like don't really have any incentive to like him other than they like him. But they you know there's a lot of people like that. Like it's sort of like the the the, the Reddit guy, like the guy who's like in the everyday carry subreddit talking about how great his uh, Ridge wallet is or whatever, and he just is like you know, that that guy, the median version of that guy loves Elon Musk for some reason. Um, and I guess it's probably just because, you know, unlike most of the sort of abstract things that like people with money and sort of like the people who are supposed to be our you know, betters in in, in the economy or whatever, like Musk does stuff. I mean, he's got a rocket company. He's got a car company. He's got a Twitter company. You know, he's got a tunnel company. He's got, he, he like does things that like, sound kind of from like a popular science perspective be kind of interesting, which, you know, it makes him a more interesting person than like Warren Buffett or something like that. You know, the kind of person who idolizes Warren Buffett. I mean, that's like, a, that's a sicko, you know, like <laughs> Warren Buffett's a guy who has like 80 gajillion dollars and still lives in the same like neighborhood of uh, Omaha that he grew that he like grew up in or whatever, which is like, you know, just like the absolute sublimation of desire and like, uh, you know, all of his, money is made just like doing like leveraged buyouts and like you know long long term investments in in you know stable industries or whatever like who gives shit about that you know like what's the inspiration there so i think i don't know that's just a long way of saying elon is con- he, he occupies a a fairly unique spot in sort of like the success mindset culture uh as sort of like the ultimate paragon of like the, the strenuous life as, but like the CEO strenuous life, you know, he's, he's the man in the arena. He's, he's digging the tunnels. He's and obviously it's all fake. You know, he just, he always swoops in with these grandiose claims, like he's going to do X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, yeah, he can't even build a car where all the parts fit together. I mean, the guy's not, you know, he's not a genius. He's, he's a regulatory arbitrager. I mean, that's what, that's how he made all his money. It's, it's pretty boring, but I mean, you know, he's, he's very successful at that, I guess. Uh, but, you know, like there's something more interesting about him, I think, to like your average person that and that means that he does have people who actually like him. But I, I wonder if, you know, just doing some psychoanalysis, if, if you're right, that like these people are just a little too sycophantic and that he, he well, either way, he, he clearly can't just accept that some people like him and some people don't, you yeah, know? I,
0: I mean I mean there's like there's like a species of rich guy. Like Warren Buffett is one of these people. I think probably like the Cokes are kind of like another or the one remaining Coke or whatever. Uh like is you know, they're they're kind of a a, a type of this dude too who are just like kind of yeah, they're they're generally evil. And and of course their influence is like extremely malign, but at the same time it's like they are engaged in, I think like a fairly straightforward to understand political project. And they're not sitting around, like, Charles Koch is not, like, sending, like, you know, get going on Twitter or, like, uh, I don't know, whatever other social media you can imagine. And, like, part of that is because he's, you know, 80 years old or whatever. But, like, also part of that is he's not, like, built that way. He's, like, not demanding that you love him, right? Charles, like, he wants to, like, take your money and, you know, immiserate the country and whatever. But he's, like, not sitting there, like, and I'm sure, like, all of these people at some level are, like, deeply disturbed because i don't think you can have like billions of dollars and not just like be fundamentally broken inside but like i don't have to hear about it that's the difference like i don't have to hear about like charles Koch's psychoses or warren buffett's psychoses or fucking like i don't know even like like a dipshit like bill gates like i just don't have to hear about him like yeah he's he's bad for many different reasons but like uh i just don't have to think about him like and i don't have to like think about his like internal like psychological state it's not like jumping out at me every time i like go on the computer uh and that's the difference like elon musk is definitely that guy because he like cannot i I, that's my read on him is that he cannot tolerate like not having that adulation like other people other like rich sickos they can just be like okay like there are people who don't like me that's most of everybody and i don't give a shit because i have billions of dollars and like he cannot handle that and so that's why he's online all the fucking time at like three in the morning uh, that and because he's on all of the uh, research chemicals uh, that are available, you know, to a person of his means.
1: Uh, I just wanted to to take a little side, a little sidetrack to to talk about a typology of billionaire that I've been kind of thinking about and developing. Oh,
0: it's yeah. like
1: I like to I like to call it the the High Plains billionaire. OK, there the we got you got the Koch brothers you got the Tom Ricketts you got Warren Buffett you got the guys who founded uh, Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops you got Tillman Fertitta you got t Boone Pickens right all these guys are like the exact same kind of like they're from the middle of the country not the Midwest they're from like Nebraska Kansas Oklahoma parts of Texas maybe like you know parts of Colorado you know Montana that that area and they're all like these, just the most psychotic Protestants ever, you know, like they've like internalized Protestantism into like this, this granular nugget that just makes them all buy like the most garish house in uh, like the suburb of, you know, Topeka or whatever, where, where they're from. They never go anywhere else. I mean, they, they, they probably have other properties and stuff. And then there's like the subtype of them, like Warren Buffett, where it's like, I drive a 1994 Camry and I live in the same house that I've lived in for 40 years. I don't know how else to put it. Like, that's a psychotic behavior to have like a hundred gajillion dollars. And like, yeah, here's my, here's the Camry that I drive, you know? There's no libido to their wealth. It's They're, they're all just dry. They're just dry. They donate to like big 12 football teams yeah, this is just a very, you know, it's a very American phenomenon of uh, a very specific kind of billionaire. You know, in America, we got all sorts of billionaires. We got the finance guys on the East Coast, we got the pizza billionaires in Michigan, you know, you got like your sort of uh, high plains billionaires, you got your tech guys. I'm sure there's more, but, you know, the high plains billionaire, I think, deserves its own sort of sociological examination. I don't know if you have any thoughts.
0: Yeah, I, I they're definitely different. Like there, it's a definitely a different kind of um, uh, a kind of sensibility. And I think in particular, like people who kind of make their live make their living in extractive industries tend to like sort of. It's not that they're better. It's more just that they have like a different relationship with, not just the. I would say not just, kind of because that tends to be an older generation and so they have kind of a different orientation toward you know the whole concept of social media and uh, all that kind of stuff and and not to not to mention like religion and whatnot uh but also i think because as you know as much as i hate to say this is like i think working in industries like that does in some sense give you an appreciation for like you're certainly not doing manual labor yourself but the difficulty of actually doing stuff because like whatever else you want to say about you know the oil industry it's like getting oil out of the ground is like difficult work like it's difficult technical work and you can't like you can't shit post your way through it like you can't bullshit your way uh around it like it's just like it's hard it's fucking hard and so you have to know how to like you know build an oil derrick and drill a well and like do, do all the shit like you know it's real it's like it's real stuff right uh whereas like you know twitter is like yeah it's real but like it's also software and so at you know as much as i uh enjoy software because that's how i make my living i'm also cognizant of the fact that it's like not necessarily the most uh physically demanding uh job out there and i think it just gives you this uh idea that like you can, like I said, you can kind of bullshit your way through it, right? Like, cause that's how a lot of software is done. You just kind of like, you slap something together and you're just like, well, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, uh, well, probably nobody dies, right? You hope. Uh, Sometimes that's true, sometimes that's not, but uh, it doesn't have like the same kind of immediate repercussions as like, if you do, if you drill this oil well wrong, like that will be really bad, right? If you like, like things could catch fire and explode. Like, you know, even if you just don't give a shit about environmental regulations, having your own like hardware explode is generally bad for business. So you want to avoid that. Um, And so I do think that people who like come from that background have a little bit more of a appreciation for the actual like amount like work that has to get done. But like, again, a guy like a guy like uh, Musk, who has never really like he's never really done anything himself. He's always just been a hype man Uh, and his whole like every part of his business that is is profitable is either profitable in spite of him or because it's like you know tesla was just like yeah uh, essentially serving as a market maker for uh or you know a reseller of uh uh carbon credits for like the decade plus right it's like that's all bullshit right it's, it's just not real stuff uh and so you build up this feeling that like oh you can just bullshit your way through anything and just sooner or later like you find out oh like maybe you can't actually bullshit your way through anything even even software has like a limit where you just kind of go like well you know if you keep fucking around with it it won't work <laughs> it's like you just keep breaking it it won't work so uh maybe he's maybe you know maybe he's learning a little bit of something i don't know probably not none of these people ever learn anything so
1: no I think you're right, though, you know, like the, the high plains billionaire like lives in the real economy, you know, they 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 do things with whether it's like extractive industries or like retail industries, not all of them made their money that way. But we've talked about, I think, before the fact that, you know, there's a there's a there's a political like a meaningful political difference between fixed capital and like I don't even know how to put it between fixed capital and like financial capital, I guess. Fixed capital being like very solidly like sort of like nationalist Trumpist Republican and financial capital increasingly being like, you know, liberal Democrat or at least, you know, socially liberal Democrat is, um, is it, you know, obviously these are not universal within either category. But, you know, if you're from a place like Topeka or Wichita or Omaha or you know, Oklahoma city or whatever you were like from a real place to a different degree and a place that has like, that is more contingent on like real things. If that makes sense. I I, I don't know if I'm getting,
0: yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think I understand what you're saying is because like, you know, whatever for, for good or ill. I mean, again, I, I live in the, you know, the heart of Capital, New York city, uh, Number one, number one, at Big Apple, baby. All right, yeah, it is true that so much of the economy of this place turns around, uh, turns around capital, right? It's not, I mean, there's plenty of people just doing like normal other kinds of work here, like, but it's hard to deny that like so much of what counts as like, what, what counts as the economy in New York is oriented around capital, in a way that like, you know, is not, and and specifically financial capital, right? In a way that is much smaller in places like, you know, Topeka or Oklahoma City, you know, and certainly was much smaller, probably 50, 60 years ago when a lot of these guys were making their fortunes.
1: Although, you know, we should note, I guess a lot of those cities have really strong insurance industry presences because and my understanding on that is because the insurance industry is like hyper, hyper dependent on margins. And like, if you had all your employees in New York or, you know, even Stamford, Connecticut or something like that, it becomes very difficult to like, you know, operate on the margins you need when you're competing against all the other insurance companies. So, um, you, you know, I, I, I don't know that industry super well, but uh, my understanding is that, you know, that there's been a lot of sort of like internal uh, outsourcing uh, in the last 50 years or so. Uh, in the insurance industry, um, although you know, there's a lot of insurance companies that sprung up in those areas to begin with. Interestingly, I don't really know the history of it. It, it might be interesting to to look at that. But yeah,
0: I don't know either. I mean, I would I, I would bet that a lot of it is actually probably tied to uh, these extractive industries because I think a lot of these industries do have to, you know, uh, write insurance like they have to insure their their uh, fixed capital, right? And I'm I'm sure a lot of these things are tied to that um i mean insurance is an interesting one because it's sort of like it is kind of the more boring like it is financial right it is financial and it's accounting and it's actuarial but it isn't among the more boring variants of this right there's not like i mean probably maybe these days there is more like inventive modeling and stuff now that everybody's kind of doing doing data science uh but sort of traditionally it's it's been a fairly staid uh sort of industry where you know you've got your actuarial tables and you kind of like you know you're trying to essentially price in risk right you're you're and and that and that risk is like again tied to if, if it's if it's risk that has to do with like um you know something uh something industrial that risk like fundamentally has to be tied to some kind of like physical commodity right in a way that like again like the financial models you know often aren't
1: sorry that's a bit of a detour to the high no, planes that i don't know if we were expecting to take during this uh you know not? discussion but we that's why that's anywhere. why we we can go anywhere we have the wide range of conversations that's why we're beloved by listeners <laughs> everywhere
0: i don't know it's it's been like i'm trying to think of like what what is the idea that like i wanted to express about this because like like on the one hand i'm Watching this with kind of a you know a sort of like gro- sick fascination. Um, on the other hand, it's it is kind of like you know grotesque in in many in many ways. Like just to just to see that somebody with this level of uh, you know a financial power can just come in and like kind of take something that whatever you know for for good or ill. Whether you like Twitter or you don't like Twitter, I mean a lot of people uh, you know enjoyed it. Uh, it was. Not a profitable company, but it was a company that was kind of limping along and, you know, probably could have continued limping along for a while. You know, maybe maybe it would have changed hands in a more uh, like a more normal fashion. Uh, But to like the the story of how all this happens is like, you know, again, a guy basically shitposts his way into buying this thing, you know, saddles it with debt, fires, you know, 80 percent of the people who work there and i don't know it's just like it is a grotesque thing to see because it's like watching a like it's like watching a giant baby you know walk through like a bunch of uh you you know bunch of blocks and just like kick them over right like except that you know babies like don't know any better right like when a baby you know knocks over a block tower that's just like they just don't know they're not supposed to do that but this is like just this completely unhinged like on un, unobstructed id just like rampaging through through everything through like <laughs> it's 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 gross to watch i hate it like i mean i i like it's funny but it's also
1: gross the thing about twitter is that like there's very few places on the internet where it's like you can post something and everybody can see it and it's kind of like official you know it's like sort of a, twitter is like the official clearinghouse of information of the internet because like more people use facebook but like people don't post, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski is going to post like official NBA news on Facebook. He's absolutely just, not going to do that. It, it just doesn't work like that, you know. Uh, and, you know, people use TikTok and people use Instagram and people use Discord and people use all sorts of different ways to chat and talk and people use WhatsApp and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, Twitter is like the one place where you can kind of like post a little slug to the news, you know. And, uh, and, you know, it also, you know, serves as a, a bit of a commentary on that stuff with the replies and everything. Um, like, it does have a pretty unique role in the way that information is distributed on the internet. Uh, that's especially important to, like, reporting and anyone who, like, does any kind of, like, creative content on the internet, um, kind of the best way to get that out uh, in, like, a place where everyone can kind of find it. You know, I'm trying to think of the, like, the only other service that I can think of that kind of offered a similar thing with like a long form was like Medium. You remember when like Barack Obama would like post stuff on Medium?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was a thing that happened for a minute or two.
1: Because Medium is also kind of like this, you know, it's like an official shell around whatever you want to post. You know what I mean? Uh, And everyone can see it. And it's and so that's, you know, that's that's a little bit of a different thing that that twitter because twitter is much more like public facing than most like ways that you interact with people on the internet
0: i mean it just moves at a faster pace right that like that's part of the reason why that fight why works so well for that purpose is because it's like it's got this immediate like you know like call and response uh character to it
1: so you know it's, it's hard to imagine i mean we were talking before the pod. I don't really think that there's going to be like this orgasmic apocalyptic Twitter event. And I know that, you know, from a technical perspective, that's certainly possible as we, you know, as, as you can elaborate on, if you want to, but, um, but I think, you know, it it just people, that would be satisfying to see something really like interesting and like conclusive happen, but, you know, rarely are things interesting and conclusive more often they just sort of you know, limp along and get the same, but worse, you know, <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right.
1: So I think that's, you know, if I just had to guess, I would say that that's more likely, but well, you could see that you could see Twitter, even if it limps along remaining that thing, unless there's something else that can kind of serve that more public facing, like here's the story, here's where you find it kind of function. Or, you know, if it, if it, but it's interesting to consider if it goes under that there really isn't something that works like that.
0: It, it, it totally is not. And, you know, I don't know, like, to me, I, I guess, I don't know, you know, some people wouldn't find that a loss. Like, I think, to me, that would be kind of disappointing. Like, I, I sort of use it to, uh, you know, keep track of what's going on. And, you know, even if I, uh, you know, even if I didn't post on it, I think I would find that valuable. So, like, it would be, uh, I, I think it would be regrettable. But it's, you know, it is also like a place where, again, you know, there are, there is like this immediacy of conversation with just about anybody right like i mean twitter is this very um what's the word you know it's it's not exactly what you would call egalitarian but it has a certain egalitarian character to it which is that um you know especially until like you could sort of uh what's it called you know blot like essentially make it so that people couldn't reply to you it's like you know th- i mean this has bad like good and bad characteristics to it but like You know, you could post on Twitter and uh, like you could reply to anybody and you could tell like, you know, somebody to eat shit and that there was not a whole lot they could do about it. They could block you, but that was about it. Um, And of course, that can be like, you know, abused in a bad way. But it was also one of the places where people with like bad opinions, like got told about their bad opinions. And again, like, you know, you could be of multiple minds about this, but I found it useful to be able to like look at kind of the people who sort of viewed themselves as arbiters of, let's say, uh, you know, the media discourse and just, you know, watch one of them like put some dumb bullshit up there and just get absolutely ratioed. And like, that's funny to me. Um, that's entertaining. I feel like it has a certain therapeutic, uh, value. Um, and yeah, there's not another place where you you can get that, which is uh, too bad, I guess. So I feel like some of those people could uh, stand to hear that on a daily basis.
1: One of the funny things about like the way that the sort of unfolding saga of the Musk takeover of Twitter is that like he just proclaims weird things about it. In, and sometimes like in replies to just random people, he, he seems to be like, I mean, it's it's in keeping with character, but like he's flying by the seat of his pants totally And just sort of announcing like, and this is how, you know, my harebrained scheme for this will work. And this is, you know, you know, in a reply to like Gloria Estefan or something like that, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's
0: great. Like people are just like finding out policies just by like, like reading his replies to people. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) I
1: I think people have pointed this out, but like, you know, uh, assuming that there's some kind of profit motive here and that he's intending at some point to like, service some of the debt on this I, i don't even know like it just seems like such a catastrophically bad deal financially that i don't i don't know if there's any sort of like way for him to even like get even close to in the black with it uh in a way that like doesn't just lead to like him basically declaring the company bankrupt and going into some kind of like you know reorganization receivership situation or whatever um which I, I don't necessarily think would even be the end of the service. I think it would just mean that it would get sold for pennies on the dollar to some, you know, venture capital fund or something that, like, strips, strips it down back to where it was before and makes it, you know, suck, like, 25% more with a bunch more, like annoying ads in an attempt to like juice a bunch of money out of it or whatever. I saw some tweet from him that was like, and this is how our content moderation will work. You can kind of post whatever you want, but then you're not going to be allowed to like, it's not going to be boosted if it's bad and it's you're, you're not going to be able to find it unless you search for it. So this is kind of like, okay, so you're doing shadow banning. Isn't that, I thought that was something you didn't like, which I mean, I don't even think that's like a terrible policy if that's actually how it's going to work. I mean, I kind of think there's value in basically letting people just sort of vent their spleen in these public f- like Fora and just kind of saying like, okay, whatever, you, you can post whatever you want, but you know, we're gonna slap some warnings on it and we're gonna like put it down to the bottom of the queue so that nobody sees it unless they're looking for it. Um, I mean, that, that seems like one way that is fine to do it. I don't know. I mean, like I'm not saying that he's like some sort of genius for coming up with this or whatever, but like to the extent he even did. You know, I also think that, you know, if you run, once you get into like banning people over various content or whatever, you know, you get, you get all these like weird line drawing things. And sometimes you just drive people to create even more like robust and and more dangerous kind of like communications networks uh, outside of like the mainstream. So you can't even see what they're doing. So there's different ways to do it. I don't think, you know, this is necessarily the smartest way. I don't think it's necessarily the dumbest way, but he's basically finding, I guess that like the reason that. Twitter worked kind of the way it did and that, I don't know, Facebook works kind of the way it does and that, I don't know, Instagram works kind of the way it does is because it's like, yeah, they're all just trying to make money and this is what makes money is like people don't want there to be a bunch of this kind of stuff on there and like actually that that's just the profit motive at work.
0: I guess what doesn't make sense to me is that like, you know, from a profit motive perspective, right? Like, first of all, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an accountant, so I'm not like... (laughs) You should definitely not uh follow me for you know legal or accounting advice uh, or probably any other kind of advice either but like especially not those um but like my understanding from everything i've read is that the you know the financial situation of the company is quite dire you know he took on something like 13 billion dollars worth of financing to 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 make this purchase uh this is basically coming with uh, something like a 1.3 billion dollar 1.2 1.3 billion dollar interest payment um yearly uh twitter does not like make money twitter has never really made money i mean other than maybe in a few isolated quarters and and the only way that twitter has gets revenue is by advertising right like like my posts don't generate any revenue for twitter it's like advertising that generates revenue for twitter uh and if you if you basically tell the advertisers that you don't know what you're doing and also you're gonna like let all the nazis back on twitter it's like okay like the advertisers will take their money elsewhere that's just like normal business stuff going on and so i don't see like a path that leads from here to profitability i mean maybe there is one but it's not a path that's like if there is one it's a path that reinvents kind of like all the things that you know he blew up right like it's it's not all the the there's you know i'm i i hesitate to like sort of maybe defend the status quo here but there's probably a good reason why, like, and and again, this is not to say that all the decisions that Twitter has ever made regarding moderation have been particularly good. Uh, they haven't, but they do have reasons for why they have certain like moderation like things in place. And the, and even if you, they're not even necessarily like ideological reasons. They're just like business reasons, right? Like you just you can't have people like it's bad. It's bad business to have people posting racial slurs on your platform. So like we try to avoid that if we can. And so like yeah, that there's you could reinvent that wheel, but like maybe you should ask yourself like why you thought that the wheel needed to be reinvented in the first place right like and there's there just seems to be a, I don't know to me there seems like to be a limited amount of time in which that reinvention can take place. I don't know hard, to, hard for me to see how this uh, how this uh, steers the ship towards uh, towards more profitability rather than just like insolvency. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess I'll say I don't really like the sort of uh, uh, content moderated internet very much. I think, I just think it's kind of incoherent and it, it's clearly intended, you know, with business practice in mind as opposed to like an actual, you know, like user experience. It depends on a lot of people having to like monitor a bunch of like really objectionable shit and like getting, you know, I don't know, just like having a job where they like for eight hours a day are just like looking at people like shooting each other and like fucking and like, you know, just just all the most disgusting things that that people post on the Internet. You know, and I I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that that stuff necessarily like needs to be able to be posted either. Uh, But I mean, like, you know, to give an example, it is a bit wild that they just were like, we're just going to ban the president of the United States, the sitting president from posting. That's that's crazy. Like agree or disagree it's fucking insane that that happened it's a president like i mean come on like like i said i'm not here i'm not trying to litigate that at all it's just it's just an insane thing that happened but you you know i guess you you know what you were saying leads me to think like the the business imperative of this just seems like it's going to drive at him like being like oh yeah we just need to reinvent all the like modules that I destroyed because they were like anti-free speech or something. And now, now they're going to be like the Musk versions, which are, you know, for basically the exact same thing, you know, or who knows, maybe he'll just hastily just drive it straight into the ground for the fun of it. I don't know.
0: To, you know, to me, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting. It, it, it connects, I think like in some ways I, I sort of like not, not to make this all about like Twitter or whatever, but like, to me this connects a bit with this sort of idea That I think is sort of shared both by a lot of people uh, with Silicon Valley backgrounds, but then also a lot of people, um, kind of in the in in MAGA country, if you will, um, where it's not just presumed that you don't need expertise to like do a particular job, but it is actually actively harmful to be an expert in anything, right? So for like. The MAGA people, it's like expertise is, uh, you know, the lies of liberalism, and uh, it's it's the Marxist professors uh, trying to tell you, uh, you know, what you can and can't do to your body, uh, put put into your body, and you know, if I want to eat the horse dewormer, then you know, by God, I should be able to do that. And then from like the Silicon Valley side, it's like, oh, no, actually, you you know, everybody who acquired any kind of expertise in anything, those people are idiots. We're going to reinvent all their jobs from like first principles. Right. So there's no notion here that like, oh, somebody might have like something useful to just contribute on the basis of like stuff that they know. It's like, no, like why? Why would we care about that? We can just reinvent everything like from, you know, three axioms or whatever. It's like and and these people have converged, I think, like you could see this. You could see this convergence actually playing out where so many of these guys who, you know, in the past were kind of like half hearted donor, like Democratic donors or whatever, uh, just because they thought that that was the party of high tech. They're like, oh, no, actually, like uh, this is the you know, they they have now uh, kind of talked themselves into, uh, you know, the idea that they are heroic uh, warriors on behalf of entrepreneurial capital against, you know, the dreaded, uh, PMC. Uh, and on the other side are like, yeah, the, the dipshits who are like, yeah, I love this. I, I love this idea that like, you don't have to uh, know anything or, uh, understand anything to have your opinions be valid. And these guys are my champions now. Uh, so I think that's been like one of the kind of more corrosive aspects of this whole, uh, exercise where it's like, you know, even even aside from again, from the like the purchase of Twitter itself or, you know, what it might mean for communication. It's like you could just see these people like uh, drifting toward each other where they're like they're really like uh, forming a mutual admiration society.
1: Well, you know, an interesting thing about that is like the sort of the high planes billionaire types that we were talking about before who have business experience and sort of like fixed capital like real economy industries they would never in a million years run their businesses this way they they know who knows how to drill an oil well they know who knows how to write an insurance contract for god's sake you know they just do what works um based on like you know that that connection it strikes me that like i mean it's interesting because those are the people who are probably the most gung-ho sort of like MAGA trump people among the like hyper wealthy um But I don't think that, you know, if one of them stepped into like a tech company like this, I mean, I think they'd slash labor costs. I think they'd cut a bunch of jobs. I think they'd, you know, sell off the parts of the company that they didn't think were like, you know, the main money generating engine of it. But I don't think they would ever be like, I know how to do this. In fact, you know, no no one who works here knows how to do this. Let's just bring in a bunch of people who, um, who don't really know what they're doing and like redo everything unless it was like a weird pet project like they decided to buy a newspaper so that it would cover them favor- favorably or something like that or you know i mean that's kind of what elon's doing with twitter i guess you know he's he's doing his version of buying the washington post or the guy who bought the paper in denver uh you know they 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 kind of do this stuff but like they're they're not doing usually that to try to like be one of their main like money generating engines or whatever you know if if someone if like one of those billionaires like a, like a, you know, a Warren Buffett type came in and like ran, you know, bought a Twitter or Facebook or something like that. They wouldn't, if they were trying to make money off it, they wouldn't act this way. Uh, And I think, you, you know, that's an interesting thing considering that, um, you know, those are the people who probably, I don't, I, you know, I don't know about them personally, but I mean, that kind of billionaire is the kind of billionaire who's like, loves Trump, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, a lot of the you know a lot of these guys who like um uh, shit like I'm trying to think of who 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 i have in mind but there was like for example this big um this big, i think it was in pro publica this big article about dick uline who's like the uh for, yeah which state specifically he's like uh it's michigan right was he is he a big michigan guy or something
1: Sorry, what's his name? Dick Uline.
0: It's the guy who, like the car- the guy who's like cardboard who makes all the cardboard boxes. He's oh, that like nice. a literal cardboard box empire? Like that's that's his. That's. I his didn't name. realize
1: that Uline was the was the name of a. Uh a guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so his name is it's spelled U-H-L-E-I-N.
0: I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And then the company is called U-Line, I think.
1: Right. 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 I'm, def- I'm familiar with the company when you yeah, say cardboard yeah. boxes. I was like, yeah, but apparently they're from they're from Illinois. I Illinois, just I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. 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 So it's like it's like guys like that, you know, yeah, like they're they're equally, if not worse than they're equally as bad as if not worse as, than Elon Musk. But like. Uh, again, number one, they are like, I mean, they're behind the scenes and not just like, not just behind the scenes, but like, fuck, I'm going back to this thing where I like, I don't have to hear about their psychoses all the time. Like, I just, I don't like know anything about this guy. Like, he sucks ass, I'm sure. But like, I just don't know anything about him personally. And I prefer not to like, just like not have him in my face all the time you know there's there's a lot to be said for like various critiques of like you know technocracy and and whatnot at the end and you know at the end of the day i i don't think that like the correct way to sort of like run you know a a society is just by saying like okay well you are like like let's let's put like the, the smartest people in charge or whatever i think that leads down some very bad paths but i also do think that like there just is like if you if you have like a goal in mind like some specific goal of policy or whatever like you just you need to have people who know how to bring that goal about you know whether that's like a whether that's a specific legislation whether that is like whether that is like just building something whatever that is right like you just have to have people who know how to do that thing and in particular i mean that's what made for example like uh institutions like alec right so effective right is because they served as this focal point uh this coordination nexus for people who wanted to like do the bad conservative policy and then like people who knew how to make the bad conservative policy happen and they brought them together and like again you know saying again that their ends are bad but they're like they're Uh, the way that they went about achieving those ends, like makes perfect sense. You just like, you need technical experts who are going to sit down and who are going to write the model legislation. And then you need the people who are gonna like make that, like pull the appropriate parliamentary maneuvers to make that shit pass and like the state houses and blah, 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 right? It's a coordinated effort, but it's like an effort that at some level, at least respects like the the idea that you need people who know what they're doing to do the thing, even if like the thing you they wanna do is bad, right? this to me is like we're, we're now in, in the kind of this area where uh it's like nothing but vibes right like everything is just vibes uh you know well like and, and you don't need anybody who knows how to actually do stuff to uh to like bring about some desired end like you know if you wanted to make tw- twitter profitable like like they're, they're just like, there's like things you can do, right? They're like things you can do to make Twitter profitable and, or to try to make Twitter profitable. I don't know if they would succeed, uh, but they involve like understanding, not just like, like the business you're in, the advertisers you're dealing with, the, the, your, your technical stack, like all these things. Um, and like the, to me, like, again, this is like a repudiation kind of like of this older way of doing business where, or doing anything really. Um, where whatever it is you wanted to accomplish, you had to like know some like how how to actually bring it about. And now it's just like, well, what if we just did it, did it by sheer force of will? Well, I, I don't know, man. Like I I don't think like I don't think you can dig like tunnels through sheer force of will. I don't think you could like make I don't know legislation pass through sheer force of will. I don't think that's how anything works. So, circling back around to uh, you know the great crypto fraud. What's interesting about this is like, again, you know, I've been following this out of, you know, a certain level of morbid fascination, Uh, but they 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 appointed a guy uh, to take over as the CEO of FTX or whatever. Like, I mean, his job is to unwind this shit. And it turns out that he's the same guy who unwound Enron after they did their fraud. So uh, what I, I don't know who this guy is. I mean, his name is John J. Ray, which sounds like a fake name, but I guess it's his name.
1: Isn't that the name of the guy who's like the the reporter, you know, like reports the details of the frame narrative of Lolita? (laughs) His name is John Ray, I think.
0: Is that right? I don't remember. Something Ray. Okay. Uh, Anyway, it's just, it's like, it's, I mean, no offense to you know, John Ray, John J. Ray and his name. It just sounds like a goofy name. I'm sorry. Like, it sounds like a made up name. I mean, they're all made up, but this one sounds like it was like invented, you know, like as a joke or something. Anyway but you know he must have had a fun career i guess he's you know bookending it with uh or whatever it is with these two amazing frauds and so and of course like he you know he puts out the statement where he's like wow this is like the incredible the the worst the worst and most incompetent like fraudulent uh thing that i have ever seen in my life which is very funny but like then he goes on to be like well you know uh part of the problem was that they didn't you know they didn't do any uh Like they didn't have a proper accounting department and they didn't have uh, a proper payroll department and nobody knew where anything was and like blah 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 like okay cool so what that boils down to again is like this is the other kind of like side of that expertise coin where like all these people who were again baked in these uh silicon valley incubators just like they, they were like oh like why why would we need payroll why would we need to know like to bother about regulatory compliance like why would we need any of this stuff like this is all just like boring overhead shit and we don't need to care about any of that and um we can just reinvent all this stuff from first principles and what's what's depressing about is that it kind of worked until it didn't right i mean nobody dug too deeply into this nobody was like hey uh how come you don't have a legal department right like because, you know, if you are any kind of corporation of any, like, that, manage, that is responsible for, like, a large amount of money, like, you'd better have a legal department, right? That's kind of part of the game. Uh, and so, you know, most places that are doing legitimate business have those. And they didn't. All of this was so haphazard and so, like, patched together. And it really just, like, this idea, again, this idea that you can just sort of drop, like, airdrop into any discipline, any, uh, kind of operation, any, I I don't know, any sort of like society and just sort of impose your will on it. Not because you like, because you just know better has completely taken over like, like so many swaths of like, uh, culture or something. It's just, it's a, it's just wild to see. I don't know. Like I'm not, maybe it was, maybe it was all to be expected, uh, like with it you know, and it speaks to kind of the, the degradation of social trust and the decay of like, just, uh, you know, the crisis of authority in general, but like, man, it's just like to watch this kind of, just to watch this stuff, like repeat itself and just go deeper and deeper. And all these like, kind of like psychos just cheering it on. It's, I don't know. It's something else.
1: When you are saying like, you know, people acting like they know better. I mean, I think it's, it's not a coincidence that, you know, that this is tied up with that effective altruism bullshit because that's a whole ideology premised on the idea that you know better. Absolutely.
0: The
1: the the, the obvious critique of private charity is it's like why do you get to decide why do you get to decide, you know, what the public interest is basically? You, you just by by virtue of being uh, you know, incredibly wealthy, you somehow get to like determine the prerogatives of all of society when, you know, a more sensible system is just like society gets to decide that as a whole through political means. And then, you know, adequate amounts of taxation are, you know, levied in order to finance those goals. Or I guess if you're an MMT or, you know, in order to take enough money out of the economy so that you don't cause too much inflation when you print money to spend those goals or whatever. So, you know, effective altruism is just a a really gamified, uh, hyper intense version of utilitarianism. And, Utilitarianism in, in itself is, like, a fascinating, um, I think that, like, the best way to look at utilitarianism is this, like, one of these uh, mid-19th century, like, social-slash-moral uh, crazes that just happens to have, like, become uh, a robust moral framework that, like, basically governs, like, all policy-making decisions at this point. So, like, you know, in, in this country, we had, like, doc, you know, Dr. Kellogg in Michigan who's, like, don't masturbate, need a lot of bran. And then in England, they had basically the same thing, except it was like, let's put a let's invent a device that we can strap to our head that's going to tell us what we actually like the most so that we can, you know, figure out what the what the right number of utils are to like create the greatest happiness for the the greatest number. And like one of those, you know, because it's this country resulted in, you know, a very profitable brand of breakfast cereal. And then in England, it's just like, well, I guess we're just that's just moral philosophy now, you know. But that's basically what utilitarianism is. It's like sort of a weird crackpot 19th century idea that, and here's, you know, there's a lot of different objections to it philosophically, but here's the very obvious one. The greatest happiness for the greatest number. How do you know? How do you know? Like the original people, they actually had an answer to this. They're going to say, we're going to invent a machine that we strap on your head and then we'll know. OK, well, we don't have that machine.
0: <laughs> it was a, it was a good idea. I mean, you know, in, in, in some sense, you could say you could say that they had, uh you know, they had enough faith in science to say, like, OK, like the inventing such a machine will be uh, will be possible. And uh, we don't know how to do it right now, but it is sensible to think that we might be able to do it. In the
1: future. Right. Right. So, you know, like it, it's like it's like reading those uh, minutes of the Royal Society where it's like they talk about Newton's theory of gravity. And then they for like 45 minutes and then they spend like seven hours talking about how they're going to invent how to breathe underwater. You ever see these things? No, I did not. Uh, the, the Royal Society loved talking about like breathing underwater. That was like one of their things that they're like, we're going to figure out how to breathe underwater.
0: Um I mean, in <laughs> fairness, they did. I mean, I don't know if they figured it out, but somebody figured it out.
1: I mean, they, like, invented various diving bells and stuff, but there were, like, people in the Royal Society who thought there was a way to, like, you know, create some kind of chemical that, like, would turn the water into oxygen and stuff like that. But anyways, it's it's, it's just funny that, you know, the kinds of things that, like, seem, you know, fanciful versus the kinds of things that, like, are, like, serious science, you know, and it's like, they, they basically spend, like, you know, two hours talking about alchemy and then two two hours talking about, like, you know, groundbreaking world historic scientific breakthroughs and then, you know, <laughs> anyways, it doesn't really matter, but... Uh, but like the, the, this is the main thing about utilitarianism that I think is like the fatal flaw of it is that you don't know what the great, what's going to cause the greatest happiness for the greatest number. What you do know is what you already want to do. And so it becomes like, like pretty much everything, it becomes a way to justify Doing what you already want to do—it's like the McKinsey of moral theories, you know. It's like a—it's like okay, look, I might want to do this, but here's this objective thing coming in, you know. McKinsey in the business sense telling me, "Oh, you know, okay, yeah, maybe I wanted to reorganize the company, but these guys are telling me I have to fire, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you know, downsize this and you know, whatever, lean, lean that, and all that kind of stuff." And now, uh, you know, because the authority is telling me to do it have no choice utilitarianism operates in the exact same way it basically says like okay well maybe i wanted to give all you know my money 2.5 percent to you know defeating roko's basilisk and you know four percent to defeating the the slightly more likely malevolent ai and you know but of course like all this stuff is just complete bullshit you know it's 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 not it's not known whether there's any any danger that like a malevolent AI, and this is something that like bankman freed was like specifically obsessed with, and you know talking about like asteroid strikes and stuff like that. It's like yeah, okay, yeah, you, you know, like there's parts of the government that are dealing with that. Like that's how a society would, like a normal society would deal with problems like this. You know, it's like oh, you, you okay? So there's there's a remote possibility that we could all become enslaved by a malevolent AI. Okay, let's make it illegal to do that then. Like. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's have like a, a regulations on this so that it doesn't happen. Oh, so there's a there's a remote possibility that we'll be struck by a like an asteroid that you know has civilization altering consequences. Okay, well we have a space administration.
0: Yeah, it seems like, like that's actually let's what they should be doing.
1: Put part of the you know the general surplus toward figuring out that problem as a society, and not just because one guy wearing basketball shorts on a podium with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair thought it was worth 4.5% of his charitable giving in the fiscal year 2019.
0: Yeah, I mean the EA stuff is like again, uh, I have been following this for a long time, so like I, I just I mean, these people came out of a kind of this weird movement um you know called rationalism which uh sort of uh, it which which arose in like the Bay Area uh in uh the early aughts and like I had the um you know, I coincidentally was a, was a college student uh, in the Bay around that time. And so, like, I was not exposed directly to it, uh, but I sort of like I was aware of it. And I had like, you know, they had Internet forums and stuff. And like I had read some of those forums and whatnot. And, you know, again, like one of these things that sort of struck, strikes me about it is that that then as now, they were extremely obsessed again with like kind of recreating a lot of this stuff that, you know, whether you like it or not, I think was like, it was, it was like philosophy. They, they, they they were trying to like do philosophy from like, again, first principles and in very much the same way that a lot of the Silicon Valley people who were also EA people ended up trying to do kind of like all other disciplines from first principles without like acknowledging any of the stuff that had kind of really come before them. Right. They were like, they were like, well, i wouldn't even call it reinventing the wheel it was it was more like they just really thought that like everything that had come before was just completely nonsensical and so we're gonna like we're gonna reinvent rationality or whatever from the ground up you know it was a stupid idea but it's an idea that persisted and so now that they are kind of like more of a um i guess you could say like they're more of a force, right? I mean, and you know, whatever. Twenty years ago, they were a bunch of nobodies uh, posting on on the internet. Now, this is a an actual, you know, a again whatever you think of it. I think you have to be, you have to call it a political movement.
1: You were trying to say it was a going concern, but unfortunately, its market <laughs> cap has taken a pretty significant hit in the last. Yeah, two weeks yeah. Or so. I don't
0: know if it's going to be a going concern in the future, but it is like it is a political movement, right? That draws a. Particular kind of uh, particular kind of uh, individual to it and a particular kind of uh, let's say funder as well and uh, But it's in and, and, and again, it's like very much Tied up in this notion of like, okay, we're going to parachute into some context that we know Next to nothing about we're gonna like dictate kind of how um, you know how uh, things ought to be done, right and there's, like, something to be said. I mean, I I don't have um, – maybe I'm less of a utilitarian skeptic than you, than you are. Like, I have some respect for the idea that, okay, well, we should just – you know, we should know whether the things that we're doing are, like, useful or effective or, you know, are causing harm or not causing harm. Like, I think those are sensible ideas, but I don't think that they're ideas that necessarily, like, demand – Uh, demand like a whole subculture to be formed around them. I mean, like people have always been doing that. People have always been debating like what's useful, what's effective, what's not effective, like how do you define effective? Like those are just normal arguments that people have in the society uh, and and in science and in engineering and everywhere else, right? Like, so, you know, to the extent that those things got applied to, you know, philanthropy and whatever, like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't have strong feelings about it. It might be a good idea, but... The generalization was okay. Now that we have like fixed philanthropy, um, questionable, but okay. Uh, now that we have fixed philanthropy, like, what? Why don't we just fix everything else? And that's how you get from like, you know, is it more effective to like donate to mosquito abatement, you know, or mosquito nets for uh, to protect people from malaria, or to like uh, parasite abatement, uh, or is it more effective to like worry about a causal robot gods like it's just it's just like yes at, at some point like you're like you have been following a path and that path has brought you to like a ridiculous conclusion and like instead of like reevaluating the sequence of steps that has like brought you there uh, you're like yes actually this is what we should be doing like I'm going to bite like I'm going to commit to it uh, and, you know, again, failing to learn, uh, you know, the lesson of Hume that reason is the slave of the passions, uh, and that, uh, (laughs) you know, there's probably a reason why you think that this is a good idea, but it's not because you've reasoned yourself into, uh, into it through, like, cold, hard logic.
1: I do think it's funny that, like, you know, people have uncovered the blog of, uh, of Bankman fried and, like, he spends an inordinate amount of time talking about, like, the New York Mets and, like, doing various sort of, you know, fairly rudimentary, but, Probably interesting in the context of like 2011, like statistical analysis of things like how effective is, you know, some particular starter the third time through the lineup and stuff like that. It's like he's running headlong right into one of the other like basic objections of utilitarianism, which is like, if you're trying to do the greatest good for the greatest number, what are you posting about the Mets for? Shouldn't you be making more money so you can donate it to defeat Roko's Basilisk? You know, like, I mean, it's well, I mean, I guess he did for a while. Yeah, but I mean just think if he hadn't been posting about the Mets he could have made even more money. <laughs> like that's a that's a problem with like a certain kind of utilitarianism is that it's like y- yeah, nobody n- nobody is like a, it's a it's a efficiency maximizing optimizing philosophy if interpreted in a certain way and like, you know, looking at the world through through cold cruel optimization lens is something that Silicon Valley is very fond of doing but it's also something that is like completely alien to any sense of like what the good life is for people, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that also like, I guess the other objection that I like have about a lot of these things is that, you know, figuring out if like efficiency is like a really tricky topic, right? It's, It's hard to say what constitutes efficiency because a lot of it just depends on how you do your accounting. I mean, the classic example here is sort of like, well, are you accounting for, uh, you know, the efficiency of, um, let's say, you know, how, how, does, how does something like environmental degradation figure into your efficiency calculus, right? Depending on how you do that, depending on how you add that information into your, uh, you know, into your calculation, like you might come up with extremely different outcomes and extremely different notions of what constitutes like an efficient exchange, right? And in particular, it's very hard to know what's going to happen in the future, I would even go so far as to say it's probably impossible to really know. Because if we knew, right, like we could just we could just trade on that, right? Like if you knew what was going to happen, like you could just trade on it and make a lot of money. And that would be like kind of pretty much evidence that you could tell the future, in fact. But like, but, but since we can't do that, like nobody knows. Everybody's predictions are, uh, you know, both contingent and fundamentally like extremely error prone. Like you cannot tell me that you have any notion of certainty about things that are a decade away much less a 100 years away much less a thousand years away right like that is bogus right i mean you can predict things about those things you can pre- but that that's because you are talking about like you know physical processes right that move on different time scales right you can you can reasonably talk about like climate in a 100 years because climate is like fund- just a physical process and like it's controlled by like predictable laws in a way that like human society is not
1: well even and even there there's still a ton i mean there's there's still wide error ranges just because a lot of different things could happen
0: right all these things are always produced with these huge error bars and everybody's always like you know uh qualifying uh their statements about how like yes but you know there's this level of uncertainty and blah 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 right that's the thing that to me like i have never seen really addressed properly in any of these uh by any of these people is like well what's what's the uncertainty what's the like confidence interval on all of your shit right and it's like if you're telling me that like you know what's going to happen like 10 years from now like I'm just, i just i don't believe you like you you don't know that uh and and if you're if you're pretending that you're gonna you're gonna tell me something about a thousand years from now like you're just you're just a charlatan like i'm sorry that's not Nobody knows that nobody can know that there's no that information is not available. The noise that is being induced by just like everything is way, way greater than the signal that you think you're extracting from it. So like even even if you thought that like it was your duty to whatever fight the, you know, Rokos Basilisk or like instantiate, you know, 10 to the 54 simulated consciousnesses, like you don't even know if the thing that you're doing now is going to help you do that. Like you're just bullshitting, like, and again, again, like, no respect, no respect for the, like, uh, the, the principles of error analysis. Like, <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying here.
1: And a total lack of respect for Hume's theory of causation. You know, they're they're just treading all over Hume right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Hume Hume definitely is uh, is getting a bit of a uh, you know, he's he's getting worked over. Uh, by these guys Which is too
1: bad because he's like one of the few people Who wrote in English before like Well really ever Who like makes a lot of sense on uh, uh, You know issues of Subtlety I guess I don't know <laughs> Philosophical subtlety Eng- English people English language writers love to just be like this is my rigid System and there's no You know there's no errors that are allowed In this it's all just mathematical certainty And I mean that's One thing that struck me about what you were saying is it's like, so yeah, they're trying to create this, like, mathematical certainty, you know, and, you know, they probably could give you, like, error bars, but that would be just as much pie-in-the-sky fantasy oh yeah, bullshit as, as their percentage of that, you know, oh, we need 4.5% to go to this and 7% to go to that, you know. It's all just guesswork, obviously. So here's here's an interesting little thing that I've noted in, because the the preoccupations of people like this, and, you know, it's dangerous whenever you start giving engineers access to, like, Thinking that they can construct a society because they basically just create like an even worse version of Walden 2 every single time. The second that you give like an I fucking love science person the thought that they could like create a model society, it, it you know, step one is it's like the smart people run it. And step two is, you know, you start talking about who the word breed comes up a lot, you know, and, oh, and who gets wow. to do it. That's <laughs> that's step that's always step two. It's always it's always bad when you hear those words. I always loved when people would post those like posters that were like, you know, DeGrasse Tyson slash Bill Nye for president or whatever. It's like week two of the DeGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye campaign would be when the breeding discourse comes out. It would not last three weeks. Um, Because they, you know, people who see things as an engineering problem, they want to do engineering. And then how do you do engineering? Well, there, you know, there's statistics and there's rates and there's the good and there's the bad and there's the optimal and the suboptimal. And Hey, you know, uh, But the thing is like, that's not really how the world actually works because the future is really not known. But so anyways, sorry, I'm getting on a bit of a tangent here. But the thing that I've really noted in, you know, these people love uh, in the sort of effective altruism, it, it arises out of this, you know, sort of like people talking about like the brain is a computer, the world is a simulation, like they have all these metaphors. It's like, buddy, we didn't know what a computer was like 200 years ago. We didn't know what a simulation was like a hundred years ago. The likelihood that the world is a thing that we didn't even know existed, like, you know, like a concept, like a mental concept that applies to other things that that has never even existed prior to that, that suddenly it like comes up and then, you know, you start, it's sort of like the, uh, um, the Bader-Meinhof effect, you know, it's like, oh, simulation. Yeah. That's what I do all day when I'm, you know, at my job where I sell, uh, you know, ad tech. Uh, I simulate, you know, how important it is, uh, you know, if we give this discount versus that discount. Yeah, it makes total sense that the world is one of those things. It's, it's just like the video games that I play. Well, look, you know, that's these things are ready to hand for reasons other than their, you know, their truth value, basically. <laughs> Especially for the people in like this milieu of like Silicon Valley who are dealing with computers and dealing with simulations and dealing with, you know, sort of analogs of these. Uh, philosophical concepts in like these sort of sandbox environments. And then of course, you know, it it's only natural that like, those are the metaphors that, that come to mind. But then when you start thinking that like the metaphor, no, 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 it's not just a metaphor. This is really what it is. You know, well, I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of that for one thing, but I also just think that, you know, that, that creates all sorts of like attendant problems, you know?
0: I think in in many ways, right? This, this this is an ideology that is in a victim of its own success because it is, um, you know, you could read a lot about kind of the sort of the the cat, you know, what people call the California ideology, and how it was in, kind of incubated in the in the '60s, and you know, in California as a uh, as an outgrowth of sort of the military industrial complex, and how uh, you know all these companies have, uh, uh, or you know, started out with. Um, Kind of the legacy Silicon Valley companies started, like Hewlett Packard and stuff, start you know have all these uh, ties to the defense uh, contract, defense contracting, and so on. Um, but I do think like that was a uh, you know a very I think successful time for a lot of these uh, for for this approach, right? It was it was one of those moments in American history where you had this convergence between kind of this technocratic um, technocratic rule, I guess. At the political level, but also like take technocratic, um, the need for technocratic expertise at the implementation level, and so like all these people found themselves, uh, or you know, I, I suppose not all of them, but definitely the more successful ones found themselves like you know wildly wealthy uh, as a consequence of having those skills, and so that is a, that the system taught them that uh that those skills would solve kind of any problem not because it did solve any problem because but because it solved their problems specifically or it helped them solve the specific problems that the government put to them right um and yeah they i mean it it it, it's definitely like an invalid generalization from from that uh specific success from that uh from that instance uh and then you know, that's the second generation that came along, and this is, I think, the generation that sort of like, you know, guys like Sergey Brin and Musk and like all these other dudes who are kind of like in their 50s now, right? The founders of, uh, and, and to some extent, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, although he's younger, um, uh, but all these guys who sort of came along in that second, like, post, post-internet 1.0 wave when uh you know sort of google was like starting to get off the ground and stuff like that like those are the like they are i mean they're not literally their kids but they are the generation of the kids of that previous generation and i think it makes perfect sense that they also kind of absorb that lesson right they absorb this this lesson uh and then what happened was that they especially for the more successful companies right that the amount of success that they were able to achieve kind of dwarfed the the what even their predecessors were able to to do right i mean if you just compare the scale of something like a google to the scale of or or like a facebook to the scale of i don't know kind of your median or even your even i mean even a legacy company like hp right i mean whatever you want to (laughs) else you want to say about hp like hp like makes real stuff um and you know like what does what does facebook make i mean you know people will probably say oh well facebook makes like machine learning well I don't think they should, but like mostly what Facebook does is sell ads, right Like most like that's what they really do and and so like, yeah, they achieved this like incredible amount of success by kind of essentially like piggybacking off of kind of the previous uh, the previous successes of that like that earlier Californian era. And again, like they learned the lesson that oh, if you come at if if you just engineer, if you just engineer good, like you can solve any problem. And there's certainly some problems you can solve with good engineering like you know um i, th- I think I have, I have a job because i solve problems with engineering but i don't like i don't sit here pretending that like you know whatever everything can be solved that way right like it's just some problems are way less tractable <laughs> and it's you know that's, that's just the, that's just the reality of things
1: engineering video games being online uh, making money in an increase with increasingly tight margins, uh, everything drives you to think of the world as a series of like optimization problems, you know, and you see this outgrowth in. A lot of different arenas like it's it's the impulse that makes people think that they'll never get a girlfriend because their face is like asymmetric in the wrong way or something like that. It's the thing that makes people like do that surgery where they break their legs and like, you know, get them resoldered back together so that they can gain like three inches of height. It's, you know, it's the thing that makes people like talk about like grind set and like never resting and like all that kind of stuff, you know, Uh, but like that's not a way that people want to live. It's not like, it's not good for you to think of everything like an optimization problem because you can never be an optimal. You're always fall short of that. And it's not like falling short of the image of God because you can't ever live up to the image of God. You know, it's not, it's, it's something that, that tells you there's a standard out there that you can achieve incrementally. If you just keep maxing out your stats, if you keep, you know, just grinding away, if you keep doing the, you know, the, the, the mining in, uh, you know, EverQuest or whatever, like everything is EverQuest mining now. I don't want to live like that. I think that like, you know, a good piece, you know, the only real piece of advice that I think, you know, is good, is good to give people <laughs> who are facing these things is it's like, if you can opt out of of that in any aspect of your life, you might not be able to like economically or something like that, you know, with regard to your job or whatever, but like, if you can opt out of that, like feeling like that, uh, you know, about your your yourself in in you know your physical appearance, your wh- whatever the case may be, like you will just be so much happier because you'll just realize that like there's a certain like thrownness to existence. We're just thrown into Amelia with certain attributes and certain things that we like and things that we don't like, things that we're good at, things we're not good at. You can get better at those if you want to, but you you know it's not a, it's not an optimization problem. We're not trying to like engineer a perfect society. the the op the goal of like social policy is not to create optimal individuals or efficient markets. Even you know it's it's to create like a good life for people to live that they want to live that's worth living. And so that's you know ultimately I think that's where a lot of this uh, you know effective altruism stuff really is evil to me. I think it's it's like evil and disgusting. And I just I just I just find it like abhorrent, you know? Yeah,
0: it's super gross and like that's where I think also by the way the connection to crypto is like so uh so evident where you know this vision of the ideal like crypto trader or crypto individual that so many of these people were like well, not so much the not so much the EA people directly but like more like the crypto VCs and stuff that were they were pushing is like oh, you can like uh trade currencies uh and you can like be just constantly on like in a market and buying and selling and it's like nobody wants that shit like people don't want to live like that that's insane uh you know only like complete psychos want to live like that like like you normal people would like to like do their job and then go home right because they have like families that they want to see and like friends that they want to hang out with and just like other shit they want to do. Nobody wants to be like trading crypto 24 seven. That's nuts. And so like, yeah, like it's, I mean, on top of just being like a completely fake economic, uh, like just nonsense. It's also just so like social nonsense because it would require you, like if you, if, if this dream literally did come to pass, like, the the dream of like like full marketization of every aspect of your like of your identity in your life, it would be insane. It would be intolerable. You would hate living under it. Like nobody wants that. Uh, and and like and, and the thing is like the only way that any of the stuff gets any traction is because they have to hide that part of it right? They can't, like, I mean, in some ways they'll be like, oh yeah, like you can participate in this, like you can, you know, we're trying to, I mean, the more toxic version or the more like, I guess, uh, quote unquote, woke version of this is like banking the unbanked. Uh, But realistically, it's kind of like, we're going to throw you into the market, whether you like it or not, right? And you're going to have to like, you're going to have to like sink or swim, right? And like, what happens to most people? They sink because they are not they're not capable of like, and with good reason, right? They don't want to be capable of like navigating this nonsense. So um, yeah. And like EA kind of has the same vibe where it's like, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, the, the goal should be like the creation of yourself as like an optimal, like an optimal subject, an optimal economic actor. So like that's nuts. Like, look, by all means, like if you want to do some philanthropy, you want to donate to some cause you think is good like, great. I mean, I, you know, like do it, whatever. But like turning that action into like a fetish where you, and you can see this by the way, if you like, if you just go like log on to the, a lot of the EA forums and the way that they talk about themselves and the way that they uh talk about kind of like their own, like their own thought processes and their bodies. It's like deeply alienating. Like, I don't know anybody who like, thinks that way like and again this is not like a knock on the idea of self-improvement it's just like it's just there's, there's self-improvement and there's like kind of like again making a fetish of like the efficiency god and like what they're doing is like that second thing and it's just like normal people don't want to live like that
1: it's like treating yourself like a like a you know a warcraft character
0: it's weird it's weird it's it's i i just find it again like i i off putting it alienating that's that's what i think
1: it's one of those things where it's like it promises a heaven but it's like so clearly a hell you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: well and the thing is it's like the, the you know nobody lives that way even the people who advocate it like you know bankman fried was posting about the, the about baseball all the time i mean like you know that's not that's not optimizing that's just that's something you like everybody's got a lot of things that they like that they waste time on that they you know doesn't have any real productive use isn't like maxing out some stat you know, I don't know, maybe it's like, okay, my, my baseball, I like baseball, but I can only do analytics on it because then I'll, at least I'll be like learning how to better analyze stats or something like that. But I somehow, I kind of doubt that that was how that project was. (laughs) I don't think that's how it was for him necessarily. I mean, he played, he played a, a fuck ton of like video games. There's all these you know, stories about how he was playing like uh, League of Legends or something while he was taking important business calls.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, this fawning profile that the Sequoia people wrote about him. About how like, oh, he's like, he can like talk business and play video games at the same time. We've never seen something like this before. Like Really? Wow.
1: Yeah, he's he's on the business call. He's like, That's yeah, super impressed. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, cool. Cool. Oh, come on. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, sorry. I'm always playing video games on important business calls. That's, that's how I roll. Sorry. I, I do
1: kind of think you know, video game mindset is you know, I don't know if it causes this stuff, but it certainly like is very similar to the sort of optimization culture because you know you're trying to like create, especially video games where you're like grinding to create characters and stuff like that, and you're like trying to get your whether you know whether it's like NBA 2K or something, it's like I've got to get my guy's layup stat up, you know. <laughs> His steel, his steel stat yeah. I need to need to grind in the my player mode to get the steel stat up. You know, the m-
0: most recent game that I played uh, was the uh, not that it was God of Thunder, but it was not, it was not the one that just came out because uh, that's still exclusive on the PlayStation, which I'm mad about, by the way. Uh, I think the um, I think the FTC and whoever else is uh, responsible for antitrust policy uh, really needs to look into uh, console exclusives. Just want to get that. I just want to get that out there. I just want to get that out there. I want that to come to PC, and uh, somebody really should get on that. Um, anyway, uh, but I did play the uh, the God of Thunder, the previous game. Uh, it was super good. Um, uh, that's not going to be like great news to anybody who's played it. Like it's kind of won universal acclaim. Uh, but it is one of those games that I think actually is you know after I played it, I kind of thought like, oh, you know, this is like this is a game. Uh, there's games that are like you know like the dark souls games are kind of like the uh epitome of this where you know i mean people will probably get mad at this i don't care uh i don't like those games very much uh i think they're too they're too grindy they're too much about like optimizing your character and like whatnot and it's just like a pain in the ass uh God of Thunder has a really engaging storyline. Uh, it teaches uh, it teaches you how to be a better dad if that's uh, <laughs> a thing you want to learn. It's true. It's true. I mean, and and uh, and and conversely, it could also teach you how to be a better son. Um, so you know, there's got that going for it. Um, and uh, you know, it, but it is also a game for dads. It's a game for dads. Uh, people who uh, just need to sit down and like play a game for a couple hours and just like not think too hard about uh optimization and just like chill with the story has just enough challenge to keep it interesting while uh moving things along um and it's a delight and i think our lives should be more like that and they should be less like uh dark souls that's that's what that's, I, good. that's the that's my closing argument i think to this uh to this uh uh episode
1: all right well you're not really speaking my language because i know next <laughs> to nothing about video games but you know uh that's a, That's all right. I think
0: I think the people I think there are people out there for whom this uh, argument will will really resonate. And so I. Right. I, I want to get that
1: that thought out there. Yeah. My 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 version of this about like not optimizing is just like. I'm sorry. I kept I'll saying. God, I'm
0: sorry. I apologize. I have to. I kept saying God of Thunder. What I meant was God of War. I'm sorry. Oh, God I don't of know war. why i kept
1: saying God of Thunder. It's God of War. I have heard of God of War. When you're yep. saying God of Thunder, I was like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know why that. I
0: thought why I kept saying that. Um, I got it confused with something
1: else. Uh, yeah, my, my version Baltimore. of this is it's like, you know, there'll be like a like a Hornets Pacers game on it. And it'll be like in the fourth quarter, it'll be like a 17 point game and I'll be like. See what James Booknight's up to Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Healed you know, it's like Lamelo Lamelo balls out, but, you know, maybe Dennis Smith Jr.'s back. So maybe. that's that's kind of that's my version of that is I'll just, you know, I just throw on the least optimal basketball situations and just kind of watch the watch as they play out the string and like a you know 15 point sort of everyone going through the motions kind of kind of game but you know the thing is they're so good even when they're kind of going through the motions it's still you almost it's like it's almost like more pure because they they they're sort of just they're just sort of playing they're not like uh they're not really trying that hard you know
0: it's it's like it's like remembering some guys but you're it's more like you're recognizing some guys
1: exactly yeah and obviously i love watching like you know the playoffs or whatever where it's like super intense and you know everyone's like you know holding their breath at every at every moment or whatever but like there is something nice about like just watching a blowout and just kind of watching like they're sort of on just automatic transmission just sort of just zooming up and down the court you know <laughs> not a lot of gear shifting going on just nice smooth ride i i,
0: I can get behind that.
1: Yeah.